Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Tonight, I am joined by Jeremy Baker, who is actually running for the House of Representatives here in Utah in District 51, correct? That is correct. So, Jeremy, tell us about yourself, uh, where you grew up, um, what got you into libertarianism versus the other legacy parties? Sure. Um, so I'm a Utah uh, native, I guess. I've grown up in Utah my entire life. I moved around a lot, but I graduated from high school at Timpanogos High School in Orem. <clears throat> I uh, went on to school at uh, USU, studied computer science, and then uh, transferred uh, near the end and went to UVU uh, and finished uh, my bachelor's with a degree in criminal justice um, and and then went on further to UVU and uh, st- finished my master's of science in cybersecurity at UVU. Um, so I'm a, a lot of, uh, I guess I've been through a lot of stuff in Utah. I, I've been around uh, some of the colleges and um, when I first got introduced into libertarianism was actually when I was studying criminal justice. Um, so while I was at UVU, uh, there were a couple of ethics classes uh, that all the criminal justice students had to take. And um, one of them introduced me to Ayn Rand. Um, and I learned about Atlas Shrugged and uh, started reading into a lot of that. And then I had a another ethics class um, specifically about the uh, ethics of laws and um, in that class we discussed more or less like what kind of laws are just and if they should be laws and i realized at that point that there's a lot of stuff that is put into law that i don't think should ever be put into law and um, uh, at the same time gary johnson was running Uh, for president in uh, 2012. I heard a little bit about him and then um, 2016 rolled around and he was running again. And that was about when I decided that I would change my party affiliation. And um, I didn't start diving into politics uh, too much until uh, 2000. 2018, I would say. and 2019. Um, 2018 was my first interaction with uh, the local libertarians in Utah. And uh, I went and my first meetup with them was the Lincoln Chafee dinner. Um, and so I got to meet Lincoln Chafee and, and a few others at Joe Bookman's house and um, <clears throat> decided to stay around a little bit. And um, at the end of uh, I guess 2019, I guess near the end of it, uh, I was intrigued by Tulsi Gabbard. And uh, so I volunteered uh, with her social media team and did some things with with that organization and helped a little bit where I could. Um, and then did a lot on, on Facebook. And at the end of that, uh, when she decided to call it quits, I I looked at the libertarians to see like what we were doing and um and i saw that joe jorgensen was uh running 
Um, and I, I liked her rhetoric and a lot of stuff before, and I was happy that she got selected as the uh, presidential candidate and decided to um, see where I could. And uh, the chair here reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to run as, or if I wanted to run her state um, efforts as the state director for her campaign. And <clears throat> being new to, to everything, I was like, oh, what the heck? Uh, I'll do that. And and uh, it was a lot of work, but I I was happy to do that. Being able to set up an event where Spike Cohen came into came into town uh, and and did a a speech at the Capitol and met with everybody here and and then doing all the social media for George Orkinson's campaign and um, getting out all the letter emails and and everything that the campaign was forwarding and distributing all the materials. That was, that was a fun experience. And, um, I brought over to the campaign, some of the stuff that I learned from Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, uh, cause there were definitely things, um, from Tulsi Gabbard's campaign that I would say were very organized and very well done. And, uh, I think it helped a little bit, at least on the libertarian side. Um, the one thing I did learn about that is, uh, uh, notoriously, I guess libertarians are pretty bad at passing on info from one <laughs> campaign to another, and and so uh, a lot of it was rushed, and um, it was a good learning experience. But uh, knowing what's going on, I, one of the big things that I I noted from it was. Uh, a big push that I thought would be to standardize a little bit more and, and get more experience uh, with our candidates and such. And um, that led to now uh, where I decided that I wanted to experience everything that I needed to do to run at a state level. Um, and uh, so I put myself in the ring and decided to jump in and uh, get my feet wet and see what exactly it's needed to do to run as a state office or state legislative office. So I'm actually running for uh, state office as well. And I don't know about you, but I see why people don't run for office. <laughs> um, I see why people don't want to, and I see how easy it is for the people who do run for office to just stay in that position. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's been interesting. Um, one thing I want to ask, not really planned on, but what, what do you think the, I guess, libertarian fascination is with Tulsi? I, um, I don't dislike her, but I'm, I'm not a big fan. So I would say um, it's it's the same thing. Like uh, I I've been watching a little bit of the posts that Reed Coverdale has put out, and um, he's noted that even him he was he helped with her campaign and stuff. Um, and the same with me, and it was cool to meet him after he came out to Utah because um, me and him had collaborated here or there digitally, and um, and. I think the big thing is of how big of a speaker she is on um, peace and and foreign politics, I guess foreign policy, um, and and how the United States should be interacting in that. Um, 
obviously there's uh there were questionable things that um she supported like uh the uh gun control um that was not libertarian um or i guess not leaning the way libertarians typically do and also um her uh stance on um the covid pandemic um with healthcare and mandating masks and such uh she was more of the traditional progressive and democrat but um little things here or there uh she never really talked economics on her um campaign and so i'm thinking that it could be that she is more right-leaning in that regard and it will be interesting to see what she does in the future because um Libertarians and GOP are both really big on economics, and that is a common talking point across all um, campaigns. And um, now that she's not part of the Democrat Party um, and she is independent, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what she what she does. I know um, some of the videos that she's done recently. It seems like maybe she's softening on her gun control stance um i'm still skeptical so i will see but um i think i think a lot of the pull towards her at least in the libertarian libertarian circles is because she is the closest thing out there or i guess she is the closest candidate that's ever been um running uh to like libertarian positions um i would say like Rand paul and thomas massey obviously they're they're pretty close as well um and they're it's bad always on things too so yeah they're bad on things too but i it's always good to see Rand paul run um as for a republican um for the republican presidency but he it's interesting to see just how little support he gets in that party and um seeing that makes me realize that the gop has a lot more establishment roots uh that keep government in place and and so i like i think the big thing was uh especially like talking with lincoln chafee when he came uh, he also noted tulsi gabbard and i think it's because the pathway that democrats need to take in order to become libertarian follows the same footsteps that tulsi is in right now and um as as i've known uh like there's a joke in the libertarian world that that is if you go on the road to minarchy you're about six months to a year away from anarchy and 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 so um i think a lot of the libertarian principles once they're they start inching their way in people gradually move over but it it's principles that stick and then also start applying to other areas and i think it's a gradual effort and um the overton window as i've seen has shifted dramatically our way um it's crazy going online and and seeing random people 
throw libertarian stuff out on just like random posts and stuff and and um i think a lot of the talking points are are seeping through the u.s culture a lot stronger than our voting numbers show <laughs> so i agree i uh, i i believe the ideas are a lot more popular than uh people would like to lead on especially when you're in certain echo chambers such as twitter mm-hmm. um twitter is a hellhole and it's just nothing but toxicity being thrown around um and we, when you get on there if if it's not a good sample size as far as i'm concerned um especially with the bots i mean that that just yeah it's not yeah, a good sample size um which is kind of interesting so there there was the uh lp new hampshire tweet heard around the world <laughs> yeah that i i loved every bit of that and the reason why is because when we have more moderate people coming in and just talking about uh like let's get rid of uh fishing licenses you know like let's roll back some of these uh let's put sunset clauses on bills that have been around forever that sounds a lot more reasonable now that that's been unleashed Mm -hmm. out of the cage and it's like look we're not them we're something else you know we we are our own our own entity um which was the one thing I was disappointed in, in a lot of the pushback. Um, obviously, it's it's okay to push back against that, um, but pretending that that's not libertarian, as if that Twitter handle is not known for things exactly like that. I don't know. Yeah. And it's uh, the the one thing about the Libertarian Party I wish everyone would know. Um, outsiders, that is, is that, you know, Utah doesn't tell Nebraska what to do or vice versa. Yep. Uh, and, and Montana doesn't tell Connecticut what to do. Like, even though we're all libertarians, we're decentralized. So whatever New Hampshire does or any other state, Texas, California, doesn't matter. That's them. That's it. Yeah. That we even go further. Like I, I know in Utah uh, on the executive committee, we've been working with the the county affiliates, and the biggest thing that all of us on the executive committee tell all the counties is, "Hey, this is your guys' thing. You go ahead and do whatever you think is right, and just let us know if you need any help from us, and we expect you to be autonomous in a way." Yeah, I mean. It- that's kind of the whole point, right? Uh, it, it's a uh, decentralized organization. And I, I make this argument a lot that the actual organization can only happen on the county level. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it happens in the home. That's that's the smallest that you can break it down. Um, but as the organization as it is, it happens on the county level. Uh, what national does, what state affiliates do, outside of the state doesn't matter yeah and the other big thing about the county level is a lot of the local elections especially county offices and city um and and even just the state 
legislative offices, all of those impact people significantly more than the federal level. Um, all the things that people complain about, like uh, zoning laws or licensing, all of those happen at a county, city, and state level. Um, the things that people see that impede their freedom every single day, they don't come from the federal government. They come from local policies and local laws. Yeah. And uh, it, one example, like Utah, one of the things that I'm running on is Utah has the most restrictive laws for alcohol and gambling. And um, the Cato Institute's uh, Freedom in the 50 States report noted that Utah ranks dead last in freedom for both of those. And <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I know Utah. You know, we have a lot of, I think, last I saw, 50% of our population is LDS. And so it's understandable. But, like, I'm LDS. And one of the tenets of the religion is that we let other people believe what they want and we don't impose that on others but somehow it translated into state law that <laughs> that we should have restrictive alcohol laws because it's bad uh, anyways um yeah <laughs> yeah and i've i've worked um at all different levels for the state within the the alcohol industry the, the alcohol monopoly. Um, mm -hmm. It is very interesting. I've worked at the state liquor stores. I've worked for a beer distribution company. Um, I, I mean, I've worked convenience stores selling beer that way. And it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's not the worst system. However, I still don't like the fact that uh, a government organization is the one that controls it all. Yeah. Um, well, and, like one of the biggest examples of that recently was the DABC or DABS. Um, they <laughs> they got a they got a liquor license that they could have given out, and instead of giving it out to another company uh, to allow that, they held it. They didn't give it to anybody, and so they decided to restrict it more, and rather than let someone else in into the club that yeah. they control <laughs> yeah it's 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 really interesting um which is why i try to speak up a, against uh the grocery tax and the gas tax mm -hmm. um the state is pulling in just wads of cash hand over fist in taxes from the state run alcohol business mm -hmm. it is um just to kind of give an idea uh in one of the smaller, uh, one of the, one of the smaller state liquor stores. Uh, it, granted, it was the one of the busier days of of the entire year. You know, uh, the days leading up to Thanksgiving, and there was one particular day that we had sold out of almost everything. Um, the back stock was pretty much gone, and we had pulled in close or a little over uh, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in just one location. Wow. That's just tax revenue. So, and that's one of the tiny stores, not one of the big wow. ones. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when, when, when it comes to uh, the grocery tax and the gas tax, I'm like, you guys don't need it. 
You yep. really don't. Yep. The grocery tax, um, from what I did on my research, there's only 13 states that have a grocery tax right now. And Utah's one of them. Um, in that case, we really could get better. Like, we should be off of that 13 list and put on the 38 list instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are a couple of other uh, platforms that you decided to run on? Um, so one of the things that I wanted to run is reducing the expenses and the kind of the books of the government. Um, one of the things that the Cato Institute also noted um, in comparing us to New Hampshire is that based on population size, our government budget is a lot bigger than it should be. Um, so if we're going to be a more free state, we need to have the government do less. And I know there's a lot of uh, subsidization and corp, I guess, corporatism that goes on in Utah. Um, and a lot of the Republicans favor that. I know uh, one of the questions that Americans for Prosperity asked on their survey to me was, uh, do you support stimulus for the economy? And as a laissez-faire, um, supporter of economics and and also supporter of austrian economics like government intervention through stimulus or any of that is something i don't support and that i would be looking to get rid of um, i know the libertas institute mentioned uh occupational licensing um, that's something that's not necessary either in the state. It's an unnecessary economic burden on people that want to do business. Um, and one of the other uh, running points that I'm on, since I'm uh, in the cybersecurity world a lot, uh, one of the big topics that comes up is digital privacy. And one of the big things that I know um, working in consumer electronics is that it, people don't know what's being tracked about them, um, especially with IoT devices and all the stuff. Uh, I mean, there's a joke going around that Microsoft gets caught looking at information and people are frustrated about it. And then Google's like, well, you guys tell your customers that and <laughs> you do that. And, and then Apple's like, people know you do that <laughs> and then linux is more or less like you guys are tracking people <laughs> like what is going on but but yeah no um one of the big things that i see um and it comes from corporatism uh is right now if you have a breach or anything like that uh ends up being the entity the company goes and they either have like cybersecurity insurance, um, but also there are penalties in, in the legal system, but they're capped. And so as long as you follow like the cybersecurity guidelines from either the state or federal, um, it creates this cap on how much you could be sued for the damages that you've done um, by having a breach or anything like that. And I think one of the things that libertarians um, can support is instead of having uh, a state fine um, and the money going to the state is uh, more or less creating the pipeline for tort crimes. So 
individuals that are harmed by a company through a breach are free to sue for damages. Um, we saw that with Equifax. Uh, one of the things that came out from that class action suit was credit monitoring for all the people that had their data breached. But that was it. Like there wasn't any any penalty for like, um, or I guess compensation for like stress or potential or or any of that that um, probably should have been there. And I think if if leaders are going to be or company leaders are going to be more aware of of cybersecurity risks uh, for consumers and their customers, they need to have a financial penalty uh, in that regard where they can understand that, hey, if we don't secure our customers' info, we're potentially liable for an unser or a, a lot higher value instead of something that is a shielded cap. Because um, if they if they have to go in and, and be like, this is a value that we can't quantify and it could be really, really high, they're going to put more priority on making sure things are secure and they're not tracking stuff before they release it. And, and so I think in that regard, we would need to fix laws at a legislative level um, in order to make it so that businesses wouldn't have that legal shield and that if something did happen like that, they would fill the full financial penalty. And it would also give um, cybersecurity insurance providers the opportunity to, uh, I guess, audit and have higher standards for what they're going to be um, insuring. And I, I think that could clean up a lot of what's going on in our digital world right now. Um, the other thing I'm running on is uh, ending the grocery tax and reducing a lot of the other taxes. Um, Utah has an income tax, and I think that is something that we could phase out. And there are a few other states that don't have an income tax. And um, in my personal opinion, a tax on labor is one of the worst that we can have. The second one would be property tax, where you're taxed for something that you just have. Um, uh, and eventually, hopefully, we can get to a point where um, government is small enough that we can go out and ask for donations just for getting certain things that people really want to have done. Yeah, personally, my uh, where where I've kind of landed on the the funding of uh, public services and goods is uh, why not just set it up to where it's like a GoFundMe account. Mm -hmm. The most popular uh, proposals are the ones that get funded and the ones that don't, don't. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's up to us um, to decide if we want to at all or if we do, how much. You know, it yeah. seems pretty reasonable to me. Obviously, not every idea that a politician will propose is going to be a good one. Or even if it is a good one, the surrounding community might not agree mm -hmm. so and they should have every right to be able to voice that opinion with their money yeah there's another um i saw a post on twitter from the uh classical liberal caucus i think and they were noting that 
libertarians didn't want to get rid of the state. They just wanted to make it less coercive. And and I thought about that a little bit before I responded. And, and I, I was thinking, like, what is a state that isn't coercive? And in that case, everything involved with the state would have to be voluntary. And at that point, you're pretty much just a private club. And you would be having like a membership fee or some kind of other subscription service and and people would voluntarily subscribe and join. Um, and then they would get the benefits of whatever you have. And I think going forward, that could be some of the stuff. The hard part is a lot of, um, at least at the city level, a lot of the infrastructure is centralized. And... Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, like locally supporting and also working in stuff to help decentralization of like power and water and a few other things would be good. Like, uh, something that could be done at a state level, uh, would be allowing individuals to collect rainwater on their own property, um, despite what any other government that says. Um, I think that's something that could be very important with uh, especially Utah, because, I mean, we're a desert state, and there's a lot of talk about water and such, and having a collection on your own property seems to make a lot of sense. So you can use it however you want. You know, at, at one point in time, um, there there was a certain amount of encouragement from uh, different governments about growing your own food, uh, being self-sustainable as possible. Um, not to say that things were so wonderful back then. However, that, that is one thing I do like, uh, one thing I don't see at all now. Um, it's more of a de be dependent upon us. Um, so I, I feel that a, a rain collection system and have not only having that allowed but also encouraged mm -hmm. uh, would be a good idea um at, at this point i'm i'm not sure what the solution is for the water issues over here um i don't know i'm i'm not opposed to a uh pipeline as long as it's voluntarily funded yep i you know? i agree with that too i i know one of the things that's going on locally um <clears throat> that I was actually really surprised about is uh, apparently Lehigh city doesn't ha have water monitoring on their secondary system. So they literally don't know who is using what they just have one uh, standard fee that everybody in the city pays. And then they don't track where that water goes and they just have one system where they track that. And <clears throat> There's a, uh, they have a, a bond up right now where they're going to be uh, getting a system like that and then using the revenue off that to pay it off. And I'm contemplating on what I think about that. But um, <clears throat> in one case, it's better to be able to track what people use, but at the same time, like, it's also more funding and more monitoring at the state or at the city level so um yeah it'll be interesting to see but like 
uh, it'll be interesting to see what goes on throughout the state. And I think having libertarians in office to be able to discuss that stuff would be really important um, because we do have a different perspective than the traditional Republican in the state, uh, as well as the <clears throat> small amount of Democrats that are in office as well. The Salt Lake Democrats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Uh, like I, I was looking at candidates running in Utah County, and there are uh, six Democrats running for uh, state and counting offices, or state legislative and county offices, and then there's uh, four uh, United Utah Party, and then there's two Libertarians um, in Utah County, and uh, and then we also have, um, I guess, another set of state offices is the state board. And uh, there's a Republican and a Libertarian running there. Um, luckily, it sounds like the uh, Republican running is very Libertarian. And so the the two are good friends, <laughs> so to say, and have pretty much really close to the same ideas that they want to do at the, le at the state level. So... Um, so one I, thing I wanted to ask is how how has the public received the message of what you're running on? Um, the people that I've talked to, at least uh, the <clears throat> the locals, um, it's not so much the platform that I'm running on; it's more the personality. Um, so it was really interesting seeing that with a lot of the people that I've talked to. It's more hey, I'm running for office, and they're like, oh, I know you. I'm going to vote for you. and um, Or or like, oh, you're running? Okay, well, that's cool. And I had a guy come by because um, I was getting my car detailed, and at the end of it, um, I, I had mentioned that I was running for office, and he's like, oh, yeah, I saw the Libertarian sticker on your other car in your driveway. And he's like, I'm a Libertarian, too, and I'll... I'll vote for you and i was like oh interesting and and so i think um the big thing is just getting a name out there and and being heard and and stuff and um <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see at least in uh my district how much the digital footprint um plays a role um i haven't done much like <clears throat> event wise uh, or flyer wise, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I had Google reach out to me, and and they were like, "Hey, we want to have your info so that we can put it in our um, services and stuff." And so I thought I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's really interesting. I yeah, didn't really. expect that one." And um, <clears throat> I mean, they should already have your info. <laughs> yeah, well, they wanted like, yeah, like I'm on, I'm on Ballotpedia now. I filled out all that stuff, and but Google specifically reached out and was like, "Hey, we want you and your in our election info." And so, um, my hope is that there's enough people in Utah County, or at least in my district, that when they go, um, they look at their ballot and see the name and then do a quick Google search and, um, or, or do some other kind of search. I, I tried to put myself on as many of the, uh, voter guides and stuff that are coming out. Um, 
one of the biggest ones I did was uh, there's a a group uh, that wants to do a Article 5 convention in order to put term limits on uh, U.S. Senators and U.S. House of Representatives. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I would support that because, I mean, at that point, you make it so that people can't go into the U.S. government and be career politicians and and you cycle it more. And and at that point, everybody coming in would want to have things move smoother and change rules so that Congress would actually run a lot better. Um, I know there's a lot of red tape there, and it sounds like, at least from what Justin Amash said, and a lot of the senior people there have created these, like, pipelines and rules and stuff that really shouldn't be there and um <clears throat> so i thought that was kind of cool and i saw that they had like thirty-five thousand followers and stuff on their group and that was the biggest one that reached out to me um and then i uh, i'm also in all the facebook groups um there's community groups for <clears throat> lehigh and saratoga springs and uh, so I posted my stuff up there and um, a while ago. And then I also noted just recently that um, I invited all of them to check their ballots that are coming out um, soon and to note that there's more than just one candidate running for some offices and that uh, I hope they did their research and, and choose who they do fully support. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I've seen recept like receptive, uh, I guess, interest in the Libertarian Party. I, I even did a, a interview, kind of like I guess a a live stream with uh, January Walker um, for the United Utah Party, and um, she invited me out, and I was like, oh, that was kind of cool, and um, got to know or got to talk with her, and had a good session with her, and. Um, and ended up winning her vote. So that was kind of nice. Um, and, um, I'll likely end up voting for her as well. Cause she's big on crypto and, um, a lot better than, uh, the, uh, Burgess Owens and, um, whoever the Democrat is that's running. I don't, <laughs> I guess it's, I it's bad that I don't know, but at the same time, I'm really not interested <laughs> Yeah. The Democratic Party. I get to. <laughs> yeah, I I had noticed that there was a I'm not sure the position off the top of my head. Uh there's so many other things to think about and worry about all the time. Um I had actually uh quote tweeted something that she had said, but she is a uh a candidate for Utah Forward Party, which I thought was interesting that they had a large enough um presence here in utah of all places to run a candidate um good luck you know just mm -hmm. like with the rest of us but they had said something that i thought was kind of interesting about um when when you can uh access an identity wallet then it, it will like change change your life or something i can't remember i'm paraphrasing um 
but it was the idea of tying your identity to a blockchain wallet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't like that at all. That That's terrifying. Like, my birth certificate and my state ID are supposed to be on blockchain now? Mm-mm. I don't, I don't like that one bit. I like, I love blockchain technology. I don't want my identity tied to it. That's yeah. why I got out of Bitcoin. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the way I understood it when I was talking to January, and maybe maybe they are explaining it differently, um, or maybe I under I thought of it of a different way, is that it would be like a uh, so instead of like a blockchain type network um, where crypto handles all that stuff, it would actually just be like a a personal encrypted ledger. Um, so you would have a uh, uh, kind of like a hard wallet like they have for, um, I guess, what are they called? The Nano or whatever it is. Um, uh, but instead of storing like your cryptocurrency, it would be storing your personal documents. Um, so if you needed access to those, then you could be like, okay, here's here's my info. Um, and and then you can go. Um, I think it seemed a little bit, I guess, uh, I would say in some cases it seemed a little bit unnecessary, um, but as it is right now, like all the medical records and, um, I guess, state records, IDs and everything like that, they're already in central databases, so it doesn't, yeah. They're not all collected into one central database, um, but they are in their own databases. And so I think maybe in some cases, um, there could be some document policy laws that further uh, individual freedom and privacy that could be coming or could come from a state level. I know um, California is not like the shining example of freedom, but <laughs> uh, but one of the things as a cybersecurity engineer that I ran into was their uh, CCPA. Uh, so it was uh, their Consumer Privacy Act. Um, and it, did a lot with individuals' data and um, giving more uh, privacy for that data. And I think that could be something that that libertarians could champion, where, where there is this idea of freedom and everybody should be expecting that. I would say instead of enforcing it by state fines and um, and state law enforcement or city law enforcement, it would be better served in the court system with, um, I would say, civil suits. Uh, so instead of taking like state action, it would be more or less like Texas's abortion law, um, but towards consumer privacy. So if a company doesn't use your or secure your data, you're free to sue them because they're being negligent. Yeah. And I mean, if I do like the idea of being able to centralize all my information 
to where I can control it mm-hmm. and, you know, cold storage, take it off the chain. Um, I like that idea um, because it, the, the way I had it explained to me when I first started getting into cryptocurrency and just the, the crypto community in general was either we take control of the technology or somebody else that we don't want to control the technology will. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm 110% behind Monero. Um, things like Pirate Chain, you know, all privacy-based, open source, um, non-custodial wallets, that sort of thing. Because um, it could be the ultimate change uh, moving forward in humanity as long as we have the ability to control that for us. But if that backfires the horrific side of what could happen is uh, worse than anything we've ever seen. It, yep. it, it's a Stalin wet dream. <laughs> yep. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? Knowing where every penny goes in some kind of central digital currency. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, right now, I guess part of my undergrad criminal justice, I, I studied money laundering and a lot of the different techniques that uh, the banks use through the um, CFCS uh, or ACFCS uh, certification. And a lot of it revolved around moving money outside of the banking system and then moving it back in. And <clears throat> if the entire monetary system is digital, there's no room for doing that. And so, oh, yeah, it would be like a, a huge privacy issue with um, the whole financial system. And uh, there were a couple articles and people that I talked to that have shared their concerns about uh, the current economy and, and the current currency and, oh, um, excessive inflation is going on and and that and part of the stimulus or I guess or that it's part of the recovery coming up it could be that the um, CDBC I think that's what it is the central yeah. banking, banking currency. currency yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, gets implemented and and at that point it would be a, a shoe in for um, larger monitoring and less privacy and financial transactions and um, phasing out cash would be pretty hard. Um, one thing I noted, especially, is uh, doing something like that would hurt the minorities a lot more than what a lot of people anticipate. My my wife's Latina, and um, she went to Texas recently to visit her family, and her whole entire family pays stuff in cash. And in a lot of those communities, they don't really take credit cards or they charge extra fees for using credit cards. And um, it was it was interesting to me when she got back and recalled her experience there because like Utah, everybody here, it's normal for paying with credit card across the whole entire state. Um, but in a lot of the other states, it would it would wreak havoc um, because a lot of the U.S. hasn't kept up with a lot of the technology. And I think 
Utah is one of the unique states in that regard. Um, I, I would say we're probably one of the more connected states on social media <laughs> and the internet. Yeah. yeah, I could definitely agree with that. It's it's interesting. Uh, like I was saying, the blockchain uh, technology itself could free all of us, uh, including you know the the poorest in society mm-hmm. um there's there's actually um some some friends of mine uh through monerotopia and uh monero talk youtube channel they have a company called uh gratuitous and you can buy fresh coffee direct from the farmer um and you can you can send them a tip in monero um down in that <laughs> part of the world uh they don't they don't have bank accounts but yep. they can have a monero wallet and it's uh fractions of a penny of course i'm a little biased however uh it's it's the uh the, the use case of what this could open up for third world countries um, yeah. even just poor neighborhoods in the united states um the, the, the potential is absolutely incredible, which is why I, I think uh, a lot of people are concerned ab- about that just getting away. I mean, I, I don't want fiat currency, but digital. That's, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> I have a hard enough time with something, uh, a fiat currency that's private, like cash, let alone a digital fiat currency. That, yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. That's just like ultimate financial slavery. Yep. One of the other benefits of crypto um, is being able to transfer to anywhere in the world. So uh, me and my wife, we regularly send money to her parent or her mom in Guatemala. And uh, it costs quite a bit to send a transaction down there. And the transaction fees for crypto are extremely cheap. And uh my wife her dad also has a house in el salvador and so she always talks about el salvador because they they've started adopting bitcoin a little bit more than most of the other countries and um and she's been talking about a lot of that and how the the whole country or at least the people that she knows there um have uh, embraced it and and they really like it and that if she needed to send money over she could send it through bitcoin um, and i think making it so that those national borders are uh, i guess eliminated in in terms of being able to transfer money is something that would be really beneficial for the future um, especially with everybody becoming more connected and being on the same network and being able to collaborate across countries. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, one question I, I, I do have is how do you feel about a, a government, say not, nothing like the federal government, but like the state of Utah uh, investing in cryptocurrency as like a reserve? Um, so that's kind of hard because it's a, it's a government entity. Um, 
I like if it could, I know Colorado started doing some stuff with crypto um, and they allow some taxes to be paid in crypto uh, where they have a exchange service that handles that exchange, but um, they don't prevent people from using it. I think something in that regard might, might be good, but, but having the state like sit on reserves of crypto, um, I would honestly rather have the state sit on reserves of gold and silver because it shouldn't be moving that often. Um, but, um, that's if it were to save reserves. <laughs> um, it, it really depends on on what it needs and and the the size of the finances and stuff. But from <clears throat> from everything that I I expect, I don't expect the state government to hold on to finances for too long. Um, I would expect more of a a balanced budget um, where they have certain amount that they can spend um, for the services and then they use that. Um, now, paying in crypto and maybe using some of that in crypto, I, I'd have to think about it a little bit more, but since crypto isn't quite mainstream on purchases across all industries and, and individuals, I, I would have a, I, I think the state should probably be the last one to adopt it. Um, for at least their payments, uh, accepting payments in taxes uh, or accepting crypto for payments um, for their taxes. I think that's something that, like I applaud Colorado for doing that. That was something that's really cool. And I think that would be something that um, I would like to see Utah get on that bandwagon. Um, even though taxes suck and they should be a lot lower, uh, I think, giving the options of paying for them in multiple ways that individuals have um, is something that's definitely worthwhile. You know, I, I do like the idea of the government functioning on a open source um, blockchain only because we could turn mm. around and follow every single penny. Yeah. Um, how that would be implemented properly, I don't know. Um, but that full transparency. Um, so if, you know, if I'm conceding to the state that it must exist, um, which I don't, but I will, <laughs> um, then having that full transparency would go a long way. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Trust you know, from the citizens, um, I would, I would feel a, a lot better, um, because it would, you couldn't, uh, change the code or you couldn't do anything without somebody being able to find it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do like that. However, I do agree with you that it should be the last entity to adopt it. So exactly how that would be implemented to the state. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the government should use Bitcoin where we can see everything and citizens should use something privacy based to where the government can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And, um, states, I 
definitely agree in that regard because there should be absolutely nothing that they need to be secret about. Um, states, counties, and cities, there's absolutely nothing. I would say at the federal government, most things should not be uh, secret. I, there are a few things that maybe our adversaries would want to know that maybe some of our DOD related stuff um, that would be, uh, I guess, national security related stuff, at least in the current world. Like, hopefully we can get to a point where we don't have other countries that want to destroy us, but... Um, <laughs> We yeah. just stop bombing them. I mean. Yeah, for real, for real. Like <laughs> most of the issues the United States has to deal with, they're our own problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go figure. Yeah, that's that's wild. So, we'll we'll wrap up on this. Um, what if if you could have the perfect opportunity to get just any anything done, but there's there's nothing holding you back. What exactly would you get done while holding office? So if nothing was holding me back and every other state legislator agreed with me and I was able to pass stuff, I would say the first things to go would be the grocery tax. Um, getting our liquor laws and our gambling laws in uh in agreement with neighboring states so they're not the last in the nation for freedom um and then also uh working towards um reducing a lot of the uh economic manipulation the state does uh and then removing all occupational licensing yeah that's fair that that's completely fair S some of the most uh important things in our state right now, personally, in my opinion. Um, I had actually had a conversation with a, uh, a, a young lady that came to our county meetup for the first time, and she was just getting uh, her, her license to be a counselor. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a big issue with her, is that uh, due to you know, different uh, regulations now due to COVID. Um, a lot of it's teleconference like we're doing now. Hmm. Um, however, because of uh, licensing restrictions, she can't counsel anyone outside of state. Hmm. So that's, that's a little ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, you're already on the computer. What, what does it matter that they're in a neighboring state or on the other side of the United States. Um, but state says you can't, and that's kind of restrictive that, you know, puts, uh, that, that takes away the market for her yeah. to be able to grow her, her business. If she chooses to go on her own or grow with a company, you know, and I have a major issue with that. So I, I would personally like to see a lot of, uh, a lot of that, uh, regulation, lifted and loosened up uh, fishing licenses. I want to see them gone. DNR can fund themselves some other way. <laughs>
ridiculous. Shouldn't need a license to fish. Are you kidding yeah. Me? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That's wild. So yeah, I would like to say thanks, Jeremy, for coming on. Honestly, this is a lot of fun. I I really like showcasing what we have going on here in Utah. Um, we are a state that doesn't get paid attention too much. Mm -hmm. um, I like that, but I do like to be able to show that, you know, we're not just a bunch of weirdos hiding out doing, I, I don't know what people think, um, <laughs> but I, I have heard some uh, stereotypes of Utah that always make me laugh. You know, um, apparently we climb up into the top of the, uh, uh, the temple, the Salt Lake Temple, and throw people into the Great Salt Lake. <laughs> oh gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay. Well, first of all, <clears throat> let me let me explain geography to you. <laughs> um, I think it's really important because we do have a lot of really important things going on in this state, and we have a lot of really good people. And I truly believe that the Utah Libertarian Party is a great example for the rest of the party across the United States only because whatever factions within the party doesn't really matter here. Yep. We all, yeah, I agree together. with that. And, uh, we actually just work. We, we just get to work. We don't worry yep. about these petty squabbles, um, which allows us to do a lot more. So thank you, Jeremy for, uh, running and thank you for coming on tonight uh go ahead and shout out uh anything you have going on where people can find you um yeah and so if you want to know more uh go ahead and you can go to my website uh bakerforutah.com um i'm also uh on facebook and twitter i don't do as many posts on twitter because twitter's not a real place um <laughs> Same with so, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh on Facebook I'm there as well. And um <clears throat> uh feel free to reach out uh if you have any questions at all. Um I am pretty quick at responding. Uh and my email uh, is also listed on um on my website and uh it's baker for Utah House at gmail.com. And uh, other than that, like you'll see me around uh, if you're ever at the local autocross, I race. Um, so you'll see me there. I'm also, I guess, on Facebook a lot in Saratoga Springs and Lehigh. So you'll see me in the the Facebook groups there. So if you're in my district, you'll you'll be able to see me and probably see some of my comments and. Um, probably see some of my arguments with some of the people that want to enforce moral laws through the state. It's okay in your home, but not through the state. Yep. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you everyone for watching. Um, anyone who is uh, in Utah, whether you're in his district and mine doesn't matter, share this. Um, we, we need to get this message out as far as we possibly can. Uh, due to the subject matter that I typically cover on this show, we are always being uh, soft censored, uh, shadow banned and everything. So the best thing you can do is like, share, and subscribe, and just let everyone know uh, about these conversations. And 
it, it will uh, help grow the movement. It will help get it out there. Make sure and stop by Jeremy's website and his Facebook. Make sure and support his campaign. And uh, make sure to go to uh, li libertarianutah.org uh, where you can find all the other candidates running. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the cycle, but that's okay because we'll have another one coming up. And I'm not ready for it already. So, all right. Well, until next time, stay free, my friends. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Yeah.